imagine an organization that was funded and maintained by a group of billionaires who had in mind global domination. This organization began with this objective in mind, but it was founded at the end of World War II with the idea of resolving international conflicts and bringing global peace but it's developed into one of the most influential organizations in the world with power to sway the nations financially, politically, spiritually, and educationally, usurping the sovereignty of nations throughout the world. Presidents, kings, and potentates from all over the globe have willingly signed treaties on behalf of their people, people who have not been aware of, of what all these things entail. What would you call such an organization? We call it the United Nations. Located in Lake Success, New York, this organization was formed in 1945 on land donated by the Rockefeller family and with funding from Andrew Carnegie. Its charter has been ratified by China, France, Soviet Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States of America, along with a majority of other signatories. 51 nations in all comprise the original members, joined together in order to achieve the willing cooperation of free peoples in the world in which, relieved of the menace of aggression, all may enjoy economic and social security. What have they achieved over the past 77 years? It's definitely a subject worth considering. I am Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting and would like to invite you to walk with us as we consider this topic. We'll be reading from the book Global Tyranny, Step by Step, The United Nations and the Emerging New World Order, written by William J. Jasper. Some things need to be brought into the light, and we as a people should know the truth. Truth, if you believe it, brings freedom. We just went through an election cycle that promised to be a red wave, a tsunami. Conservatives' hopes were high, and even a significant number of the Marxist Democrats were shaking in their boots, and rightly so. The revenge would be sweet in view of what happened in 2020. Biden's debacle would soon be stopped cold. It was a sure bet. These prognostications were dubious. We were being gaslit. The fix was in, and those in power were fully aware of it. Nancy Pelosi let it slip that the Democrats won't lose the House, and it still remains to be seen if they will. Well, they say you won the House. No, we didn't. This is not over. The best way, if we do win the House, to cite this is that we were allowed the House. We had the Senate, but no, this was not allowed, nor will it ever be allowed again. And the White House? Yeah. Trump has announced that he's going to run again. We'll see how that goes. A, determin a determination was made in 2020 that the entire election process in the United States would be altered, managed, and controlled. No more Trumps would slip in behind the Resolute Desk. There's a system in place that has made billionaires billions and billionaires millions. And it's been in place for over 150 years, and it's not about to be altered or changed. In a classical Gramscian cultural Marxist fashion, we were given just enough to cause a plausible deniability. We were given room to say, wow, it looked so close. We almost got him this time. Keep it all close. Keep it exciting and make it appear that a valiant effort was made. But keep it moving in the right direction or should I say left. There's a definite logic to this thought that cannot simply be pushed aside, and we're going to look at it and consider it. Let's start with what is known. The Marxist Democrats want to tell us that Joe Biden, a grandiose liar, a corrupt globalist politician who sold his soul to Satan long ago, 
was able to hold rallies throughout the United States that garnered 10 people all over. He was able to garner the votes of over 90 million people. We're being led to believe that this cognitively challenged man somehow both convinced the people that he was the go-to guy with all the answers and that he was able to lead. We're supposed to believe that he won the hearts and the minds of the American public in such an overwhelming manner that 91 million people voted for him. The bigger the lie, the more readily the masses will accept it, right? Herman Goebbels was very successful in the application of that principle. The fraudulent activity of 2020 elections has been made manifest time and time and time again. The evidence is laid out before us. We can see it if we want to see. The media's complicity has been blatantly obvious, and the criminal activity of the FBI and the CIA and every lettered agency in Washington has been obfuscated or ignored. If you dare expose their corruption, you'll be locked up and the key will be thrown away. Just ask Eric Snowden. We're talking about corruption on such a massive scale that most would stand back in utter disbelief when the true magnitude of these things is described. They would say it's impossible, it's incredible and unbelievable. And so we're being led to believe these things. But there are men of renown who have seen these things and have sought to bring them to the attention of the American public. Men such as Milton Friedman. But truth is like a festering cancer in the mind that is given to lies. It sears his conscience, and it leaves no remorse. He can, uh, the man who is given to these lies cannot blush. He makes every effort to eradicate truth and may expose the cancer. There's a deniability among cancer patients. I know. I've been there. But if you lie long enough, you begin to believe the lies you propagate. There comes a point when logic and reason cannot refute the lies that you have embraced. Reason escapes you, and wisdom is gone. Germany followed Adolf Hitler. Millions upon millions died and the nation crumbled. Jim Jones had his followers and led them down to South America. They all died. They drank the poison. David Koresh led the Branch Davidians in Texas. They all died. The ways of these men seemed so right initially, but the end was death. The way that they presented was wide and wide, so wide, and they brought many, many people into it. This is to say that we can be fully convinced by a lie. Truth is rare and a precious commodity that should be valued and cherished. But today it goes begging in the streets, crying out but unheard. Truth is a dogged thing, bringing with it either blessing or recrimination. It continues to rise to the surface. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You really can't do that. Truth will always come to the surface. The Marxist Democrats must fight constantly to keep things suppressed. Denial, obfuscation, lies, accusations, continual attacks on any sort of truth, it continues and must continue. However, like uh, Ben Bernanke finally admitted to Milton Friedman, the government did cause the Depression. The Federal Reserve could have stopped it. Bernanke finally admitted the truth after so many years of the incredible destruction they had caused. The truth came to the surface. What we have to realize and accept is that the government no matter what nation we look at, thrives on lies, misdirection, misinformation, and corruption. Please note that I did say the government, not the Republicans and not the Democrats. The government. These things come from both sides of the aisle. It's the one who is best at controlling these things that wins. It's all about a suppressive power that's being sought. It's not about the people. 
It's not about the rights and the freedoms and the liberty and the free market society and capitalism. It's not about peace and prosperity. It's about a pure lust for power. This is the greatest aphrodisiac known to man. Power to control and shape history. Power to guide people, to mold a society and manipulate a culture. Today, for personal and ideological reasons, this is what our politicians are seeking. It is not about the people. We the people have been cast aside years ago. The financial interest of a few has long since overwhelmed the public domain. Too many examples are glaringly apparent, with the main proof being established in Florida under the governance of Ron DeSantis. One of the most highly populated states in the nation, Florida's election was conducted without a hitch or a hiccup. Was that just an anomaly? No, not at all. It was conducted in a fair and organized fashion. Plainly, we could all see in 2022 that it was the economy stupid. Historically, Americans vote with their wallets, but not this time. Why not? Why the sudden shift in attitude? 37% of Americans approve of the way the country is heading, which means that 63% disapprove. A huge majority disapproves of what is happening. Now, what would cause the huge majority to suddenly vote and keep things moving in the same direction? Logically, it makes absolutely no sense. People express their opinions at the ballot box. They repudiate the ineptitude of the administration by casting a vote. Every indication, every poll, every naysayer, and even the Marxist Democratic media was predicting a bloodbath for the present administration during the midterm elections. Yet it did not occur, with the exception of the once liberal bastion of Florida. In their election, where things were run properly and above board, the vote was in by 8 p.m. It was clear. In key states such as Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada, the ballots continue on November 16th to come in. And today, we smell the things that are going on. The optics, the procedures, the machines, they're all in place. We see it. We're not stupid. They all point to one thing. Fraud. Why is it in every situation where the votes are delayed and recounts are made, the Marxist Democrats make tremendous strides? Eventually, overcoming all opposition, they manage to somehow stand on top of the heap like Rocky Balboa holding their hands high. We're supposed to accept this. To deny it would be anti-American. You would be an insurrectionist, treasonous, an enemy of democracy. When it comes to choosing where to stand, me, personally, I will stand on biblical principle. I will always choose God over man every time. Over Trump, over Biden, over Obama, over Reagan. I will look to the scriptures and find out where I should stand, and by God's grace, that's where I'll stand. I know Georgia. My wife hails from Powder Springs, which is near Atlanta. I've traveled the state, and I've rooted for the Bulldogs. I've spent weekends in Helena, and I've visited friends. Georgia is by no means a blue state. The vast population is conservative, very strong in their faith, upstanding as a people. The media paints a false image of the state of Georgia. But look at what they did this year. Without the, the tricks of the trade being applied, Stacey Abrams was overwhelmingly voted out. Those in power were aware of her shenanigans, and she was held as a miracle worker because she was able to manipulate and twist and turn. However, when the needed controls were put in place, such as voter ID and such, 
Brian Kemp was joyfully given another four years in office without question. Miss Abrams was exposed and her Marxist positions were violently rejected and that she had no control over the ballot box. She lost in a very, very telling fashion. Her ideas, they were rejected long ago. Now, seeing that Georgians reacted so blatantly to Stacey Abrams, do you think that they would suddenly step out of line, reconsider their thoughts and opinions, and vote for Raphael Warnock? It doesn't stand to reason, and any sound-thinking individual would question the legitimacy of this entire situation and any runoff that is being considered. In the election of 2020, an acquaintance of mine suggested that we rally around David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler after seeing how the presidential election had turned down. I told him there was no way either one would prevail. The fix was in, and if things were going to turn, the turn had to be a total turn. So who prevailed? Against all conventional wisdom and historical precedents for the state of Georgia, Raphael Warnock and Ossoff, both Marxists in ideology, were miraculously voted in. Yes, there was a runoff between David Perdue and John Ossoff, but it was well known before the final tally was even begun who was going to win the Senate. Today, Herschel Walker and the Marxist Raphael Warnock are in a runoff. The media has painted Walker, the conservative, the Trump supporter, the election denier, as a poor choice. They're bracing the public for the inevitable. Warnock will win the runoff and resume his seat in the Senate, giving the majority to the Marxist Democrats. Kelly Lake in Arizona, by all reports, was an overwhelming, overwhelming favorite in Arizona. Her opposition, Katie Hobbs, was the sitting Secretary of State. It was Hobbs who oversaw the highly contested 2020 election in Arizona. You know, as Secretary of State, she controls the election board. And by all accounts, she was a poor candidate. She ran a horrible campaign and was known to be a Democrat Party animal. She was a Marxist Democrat, and she was controlling the election board in Arizona for this midterm election. Shocking and surprised, I turned on the television to find out that she won the governor's race, and that the Republican got beat in the Senate race. It's just amazing. Could there possibly have been any conflict of interest? Why no. Could there, been, uh, could there have been any collusion on her part in considering the previous debacle in 2020? Well, no. Do you believe the people of Arizona wanted two corrupt politicians controlling their state? Mark Kelly and Katie Hobbs? The momentum, the energy, the atmosphere, everything said no. But the machine said yes. The people be damned. As for the claims of election deniers... What is conveniently overlooked is the great wine and dine shows that were played out in the American society after Al Gore's defeat in the year 2000 and Hillary's fall from grace in 2020. Both denied their respective losses, calling it corrupt and an organized effort. Hillary has gone on several wine and cheese tours, calling Trump illegitimate. Gore continues to roll his eyes and breathe heavily as he tells the world that he too was cheated. But this does not matter now. For the world is about to undergo a cataclysmic change due to all the climate problems. So Al Gore, he preaches, he says we're all going to perish. And then he gets into his private jet, emitting all the carbon pollution that he complains about. And he flies back home. Anytime a Marxist Democrat loses, the Gramscian principles come into play. The aroma of Saul Alinsky fills the air. And you can hear Obama in the background telling the people, you didn't build that, I did as he and his compadre, Marxist William Ayers, pair up to write yet another memoir. The corruption of 2020 lives on. The fires of that summer still burn bright in the memory of America. 
we see our nation burning. Caesar lit the fires that burned Rome. The Marxist Democrats are lighting the fires that are burning America. Caesar used the bodies, literally, of live Christians dipped in oil to illuminate his gardens in the evening. The Marxists want to light up the Christians, as well as those who dare to oppose them in their quest for power. Unless the conservatives stand up and have some real metal in their leadership and manhood in office, the conservatives will continue to be weak and ineffective, virtually seen as tokens representing an opposition which allows the Marxists to declare that everything was fair and above board. We dare not be called racist or bigoted. We, we don't want to be seen as that, do we? So keep your eyes peeled and your gunpowder dry. They're coming for you, your money, your property, your possessions, your children, and all of your God-given rights. We say we'll fight, but yet we don't. That will never happen. We'll give up a long time before that happens. We've become a nation of wimps and wannabes, worried about our wealth and our comfort. We're the men who know what's right and wrong. We're the men who are willing to stand up. There's a poem that was written by a lady who gave her life to the work in India, saving children from child prostitution that was so prevalent in that culture. Many in leadership hated her. She was opposed by many, but loved by more. Her name was Amy Carmichael. At the age of 64, she had an accident and she fell. And this, along with arthritis, kept her an invalid, bedridden, for the remaining 20 years of her life. She never relented in her efforts, though. She stood against the practice that India had embraced, an evil and wicked practice. And she knew what opposition was. She knew what wickedness was. She knew the meanness and the cruelty of men. She called wicked men wicked. And that is not an acceptable practice in Indian culture. She called Jesus Christ king in a culture that worshipped a thousand different gods. This was unacceptable. But she stood, bedridden, broken. She stood and was a voice standing and calling and crying in the streets. But the people knew she was right. She was called by those who knew her, Zama, mother. And she fought like a mother for what was right and true. And she stood while others whined and complained. It was from the heart that this wounded warrior wrote words that are still spoken today. From prayer that ask that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on me, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain, free thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus are spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified, from all that dims thy cavalry, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Who will stand for what is right and true? Who will stand? Will that be you? Hello, this is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. It's been a distinct privilege to provide for you, our listeners, a fact-filled historical perspective on public education in the United States through our podcast, John Dewey's Dumb Down of the American Mind, as well as considering the definite decline we're facing in our culture with global Marxism from the top down. 
The research and the facts are quite revealing and, in many cases, stunning. If you or your organization would like us to speak to your group, please contact us at vintagebroadcasting2020 at gmail.com. That's vintagebroadcasting2020 at gmail.com or call 606-776-3845. That's 606-776-3845. We appreciate your participation and thank you very much. again as we continue with our series Global Tyranny Step by Step. This is Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. Have a good day. Come on, Sergeant.